Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. Back in August of 2011, Time Magazine, for those of you who remember actual magazines, Time Magazine's cover story was about the chore wars. And almost a decade later, those wars are still going strong. And in my world, anyone who is a member of a household has a responsibility to help keep it running. Age-dependent, of course. But even the youngest of children can at least help pick up. So why does who does what around the house still cause so many problems? And that's the topic for today's show. And I'm joined in the discussion by speaker and author, author Mark Green. So Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking about what should not be still going on in, all, in, in 2020, almost 2021, but we still can't seem to get past this. Mm, yeah, well, it's, uh, it, its roots go back generations, and, uh, and it's also tied into much larger um, issues around culture, uh, specifically yeah. our dominant culture of masculinity. So it's a, it's a tangled knot. It certainly is. <laughs> so you recently wrote a piece that appeared on the Good Men Project titled, I Do the Housework. So can you shed some light on what prompted you to write this? Um, well, if I, if I can set it up this way, I would say that, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, a stay at home dad. Uh, that's, that was the label I had. I, uh-huh. I was the home, home contractor, but you know, I was, I was a contractor for people, but I, I, I was self-employed for a long, long time. And when my son in, entered the world, uh, I was married but I was at home all the time. So much of, uh, much of my time was spent with my son uh, uh-huh. as well as trying to get my work done, you know? So, so I, I know about raising a child from the standpoint of when, when the child naps, you can get a little work done. And then when the child uh-huh. gets up, you got to be ready, you know, and, and all the tensions and labor that's associated with that. And then eventually um, my marriage failed and I got divorced. So I was a single dad, working mm-hmm. at home with my son, you, you, you don't really get the choice of whether or not you're going to do the work when, when there's a child involved. Uh, if, if that is assuming you're, you're like a, a, a legitimate human being, you realize <laughs> I, I've right. got it. I, I have to do these things. I have to, I have to clean this kid up. I got to get this kid fed. I got to get this kid to pre-K or whatever the heck is going on. Mm-hmm. So you get into a rhythm of doing the work and, and, all of this is to say um, I came to understand the, uh, the power of necessity in terms of the work we take on. And, mm-hmm. uh, and as such, uh, I want to begin this conversation by saying these, these choices to do housework or not do housework are fundamentally contextual. They are the product of your circumstances, your situation, and what mm-hmm. you have negotiated or failed to negotiate with your partner and, and with your family members. And we have a, a, we have a culture that, that, that doesn't 
doesn't even broach that conversation, right? We have a bunch of gendered ideas about who does what in the home that date back generations, and we don't have the conversations around those expectations at all. Well, and, and that is exactly true, and it's so funny that you mentioned that because when my husband and I moved into the house that we're in now, he was, I mean, we're up on this hill, and so our, our yard is very sloped, and it's not, it's not an easy yard, and he would point out to me all the women in the neighborhood who were mowing the lawn. And I looked at him and I just said, and your point would be what? Because my opinion is I don't care if every woman in the entire universe mows the lawn. This woman is not mowing the lawn because, I mean, and I have a couple of different reasons for that. One, because a good friend of mine, was, um, when she was a child, lost half of her foot to a lawnmower. So it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not, I'm not real, into thing, real into things that cut. You know? It's like I'm not good with that. But you're so right that we just don't talk about this stuff, that there are assumptions made, expectations thrown on it. And so, you know, I really think, so maybe that's the question. Is is this why it becomes such an intractable issue for couples? Is it because we're just not talking about it? Mm, no, it's more than that. I mean, that's that's part of the problem that we don't talk about it, but there's a reason why we don't talk about it. And that's because there, you know, our, our culture, uh, especially what I refer to as man box culture or our dominant culture of masculinity is Mm -hmm. a hierarchical culture, right? It's, it, it, it's, it's a dominance based vertical hierarchical culture. And, you know, a long time ago, a guy named Paul Kibble, uh, in the, in the early eighties, uh, conceptualized something that he called the act like a man box. And it had it was a set of rules for sort of what it means to be a man. And, the, the, and in order to get the rules, he went around to high school boys and he said, what are the rules for being a man? And they told him. And wow. these rules, one of the rules of the, there are rules in the man box, like um, don't show your emotions. That's also, by <laughs> the way, anybody it, it, ask anybody listening to this conversation, what the rules are for being a man. And they can pretty much tell you. You know, it's sort of the traditional cultural rules for being a man. So don't show your emotions, always be in control, uh, be a breadwinner, not a caregiver, uh, be heterosexual, Mm -hmm. not homosexual, have control over women and girls. These are the rules of man box culture. And there's ample uh, research to back all this up. An organization called Promundo has done a lot of deep research in, in Mexico, Great Britain, and the U.S., asking questions about what that what this what is now framed as man box as the man box or man box culture and okay. they did a they did a survey for you know i mean when i you know i casually reel off the list and say things like have control over women and girls but honestly uh they they did a, a survey in uh in the u.s and they they asked a simple yes or no question and I'm going to paraphrase it here, but, it's, but anybody who wants to look at the Promundo study on the man box can just download a PDF of it. It's free. Just search, you know, Promundo and the man box, and it'll come right up. Right. But what, one of the questions in the study was, and I'm paraphrasing, their language is a little clearer than what I'm going to give you, but um, what they asked was specifically um, – if you're if a, if a man is in a relationship or a marriage with a woman, 
does he have the right to know where she is at all times? And to me, that's pretty hardcore, you know, at all times. Mm-hmm. It's pretty controlling. And I thought, well, what percentage, what percentage of men in America just answered yes to that survey question? 56% of the men in America answered yes to that question. So it, validate, it validates this idea that men should have control over women and girls. Men should also be sexually active. There's a lot of other problematic right. aspects to the man box. But you couple that with men should be breadwinners, not caregivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is to say men bring the money home, but they do not care for the children. They do not take care of the house. I, by extension, that's what I read that as. But what uh-huh. we're really talking about is men have the economic power and control and women serve at that man's whim, right? That their job is to support the house and do this work. So we're talking about, we're talking about who gets down on the floor behind the toilet and scrubs all that stuff out. We're talking uh-huh. about who puts, puts their hands uh, in the drain of the bathtub and pulls the hair blob. You know, we're talking <laughs> about who does the, the really viscerally challenging tasks every day and depending on whether there's children in the house or how many children you're you know you're looking down a tunnel of uh of potentially decades of this work and Mm -hmm. and every additional person in the household amplifies it dramatically and this work is that i took on as a stay-at-home dad and as a and as a single dad uh Mm -hmm is work that I continue to do now that I'm remarried because my wife is the primary breadwinner in our relationship. Uh-huh. And because we have, we have, and because I brought my son in from a previous marriage, there were different aspects of this, which led me to feel, well, if she's bringing in, you know, a significant amount of the revenue for our family, I'm going to contribute by taking care of the house. I'm going to make sure my son gets what he needs to get to school or do whatever he's doing. And, but we have talked about it multiple times. She checks in sometimes and goes, are you still okay with this? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, do- I'm cool. Okay. But the other day, uh, you know, uh, I wrote that article because I was there doing, doing some, you know, this giant pile of dishes and I was cleaning the countertops again and there was stuff that people had brought out and not put away and there was, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's a sense that, well, if you're willing to do it, they're willing to let you. Yeah. And I got this feeling that, that I was a little bit invisible, right? That I was mm-hmm. doing a good enough job of keeping everything taken care of that, no, nobody's going to pick up that load. Of, you know, yeah, they'll take the laundry out of the dryer and put it in the basket, but are they going to fold it? And when I say, <laughs> hey, I'm talking about a 15-year-old son and my partner. So this uh-huh. weird back and forth between sort of, yes, I agree to do this, and I'm feeling a little invisible. And then I thought back to my mother, who, uh, you know, from a, from a previous generation, my mother, I'm not a young man. My, my mother always struck me as, as being kind of depressed, kind of exhausted, uh-huh. kind of miserable. And when I realized there was no negotiation for her. There was no conversation mm-hmm. about who was going to earn or what my father's role would be or how that would all play out. And when I think, and this is, this will give you a sense of how old I am. My mother 
entered her marriage before birth control existed. Mm-hmm. So children yep. came. They showed up. They showed up even, I mean, even if they mm-hmm. were not planned or, and every time a child showed up, that extended by another 18 years. At least. Massive workload. And mm-hmm. I felt like, and for a moment, I just stood there with my hands, with, you know, food on my hands and looking down <laughs> into this sink with the brown water. And I thought, my God, you know, I don't think I could have, you know, to just, for it just to be assumed that that uh-huh. was her job because of her gender and that she was going to handle it. And by the way, you're pregnant again. And I just thought, I don't know if I could have stared down that tunnel that she stared down and not, and been anything but depressed and been anything but yeah. exhausted and and this is a this is a, a, a something that we are all so unaware of we're so unaware of the the brutality of 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 that housework load that becomes so normalized as to, as to make one's efforts invisible oh yeah can you give me something to eat i'm hungry right and, <laughs> And, and I just, when I wrote that article, I thought I had such a sense of grief for every human being that still today, especially around the world, yeah. there's, listen, there are some people who take on the work of caring for a family and it's a joyful thing for them, but, but that's a personality type, right? And, and, and to expect every woman in, in the world to do that backbreaking, exhausting, invisible work over and over again, especially in a place like the United States, where these conversations can and should be happening in Europe, in, and, and they should be happening everywhere. I don't care right. whether it's India, tribal belt, I don't care. But, but the long and short of it is, it, 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 I had this sense of deep grief for people who never got, to, never got a choice. And, and but- you know... Right, and this is really why I, I wanted to have this conversation with you because it's funny because, you know, I'm probably somewhat younger than you, but not probably not by a whole lot. And, you know, my mother-in-law would say to me when my husband, her son, would do things either with the kids or with the laundry or whatever, she, said, she would say, well, you know, my father-in-law you know, would never do those things, and I'm sitting in my head going, yeah, different times, and I actually had this conversation with my husband about um, who would do what. And, you know, and my husband's a very generous man, but, you know, you're talking about, you know, we're talking about a time of year where the holidays are upon us, and, again, a lot of women take on all of that as well, you know, trying to make sure that, you know, they're the ones responsible for buying all the presents and getting them out and all this other stuff. It's just one more layer of this. And so, yeah, this just not having the conversation about this. So why, especially in the United States, especially now where there are in many cases, not all, but in many cases, women are now the primary breadwinner, not the only breadwinner, but maybe the bigger breadwinner. They're bringing home more money, and yet there's still this expectation that everything that goes on in the house is their job as well. Right. Well, what's interesting is if you, there's, there's a sort of a transformational population of men and, and they're stay at home dads. They are men who have actually had the conversation about, okay, you're making more money than I am. I, 
our family would benefit from that revenue, I will take care of, I will be the primary caregiver for our children. Mm-hmm. In that moment, men become very effective uh, at, 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 at parenting, at the emotional side of parenting that's required, at all the things that supposedly we're not supposed to do or we don't do or that our parents' generation didn't do or whatever this frame uh-huh. is that, that, that seems to keep popping up. Uh, and those men understand that, that, you know, what it means to put some water in a casserole dish so that it soaks overnight so that you don't have to spend an hour scrubbing it the next morning. <laughs> we understand that. I literally had, a, had, had a, a thought to myself, I wonder if women do it this way. I mean, I would ask mm-hmm. any, any man who, who washes a lot of dishes, I, I was asking myself the other day, how long do you scrub with that scratchy side of the um, – of the sponge before you just say, oh, screw it, and use your thumbnail, right? Like, and, and, and people would be like, ew. But, but that's yeah. a question I would ask men because maybe men have a different approach than women do, right, uh, in terms of, like, protect. We don't care about what's under our thumbnail, you know, for right. a moment there or whatever. But to me, it's these details. Like, when you, when you clean the toilet and, you're, and you put the, the – I used, like, a, this bleach scrub stuff. I, I squirt it in there, and then I scrub it with the – brush and then I get that brush and I, I get a bunch of that bleach stuff on it and I work the, the top of the toilet and then I, right. I get, you know, and then I, I, you do a good job. I per, my preferred method is to then flush, put the scrub thing away and use a, a, some toilet paper to wipe the rim and drop that in and I'm like, hmm, okay. I have now killed <laughs> all of the microbes that are crawling all over this, this these particular surfaces and I also wipe the back and I do all this stuff because I feel like, you know, this is, this is something that can be, that can be well done, but not, right. it's not even that. It's just, I, I just have this thorough approach to, I don't want people to come and go, wow, he really, <laughs> he really kind of phoned that one in, you know? Right. And, and it's a matter of our family's health and whatever right. aesthetics, it's whatever it is. And I do not keep a perfect house. I do not. My, right. my partner has agreed to let things go for a while if they get, because I'm, you know, I'm working too and I'm doing other stuff. And so, so things can pile up if they need to. But gen- we had this conversation a couple of days ago. My, my wife is yeah. a couple and family therapist. So she sees, she sees relationships go mm-hmm. south around these kinds of issues. And one of the big challenges we face as human beings is, is judging each other's effort, level of effort and all that. Oh, you are so, so right. Yeah. Um, so she lets me, I, she lets me take, take my time to get to some things. Um, but, but we, we, and, we have reached an equilibrium here. Okay. And I, and I want to hold off on that thought for just a moment because I need to remind the listeners that this is happily ever after. It's just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking housework with speaker and writer Mark Green. And if this is an ongoing issue in your house, you know you're not alone. But it doesn't have to stay that way. In fact, I actually have developed a simple three-stage process to end the chore wars once and for all. And if you would like to know more about that, please feel free to send me an email or give me a call and find out more. You can reach me by email at leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, coaching, N is in Nancy, C is in Charlie.com. 
or you can give me a call at area code 919-924-0463. Again, that's 919-924-0463. And I want to get back to talking to Mark about this. So you're actually talking about something. You're talking about you and your wife talking about, um, I guess, grace, a little bit of flexibility about what the house looks like, what's okay. And that's actually one of my one of my stages is that, you know, one of my steps is that you actually talk about what the standard of done is. You know, you brought up laundry earlier and it's like, is laundry washing the clothes and drying them, washing, drying, folding, washing, drying, ironing, folding, putting away? I mean, what is the standard? And I think that's where a lot of this discussion challenge, in fact, I might even call it a discussion, arguments come because people haven't determined what done is. You know, you were talking about yeah. your wife yeah. giving you a little bit of flexibility in, okay, I'm busy, I'm going to get this done, but maybe not in the way that you would do it. And this is why I say if you have a standard of done and a time frame, meaning, you know, okay, the garbage goes out on Tuesday, you know, when, whether you take the garbage cans out Monday night or Tuesday morning, doesn't matter as long as they're out in time. Um, is this what some of the things that couples are missing, that there's just a complete, is it because people don't know or is it because there's just inflexibility in either what the chore is or how it's done? Well, I, I, I think, again, it, it is so crucial to understand that context informs all of this and context mm -hmm. is relational. It is the relationship, the relationships in the household that def I mean, look, if I, if I look at uh, some dishes on the sink and I've got a whole nother problem with my spouse that, that uh -huh. we haven't addressed and we haven't talked about and we don't deal with, and I instead choose to assert my irritation about that task and how it was done, then we got bigger issues that are informing that conflict, right? Yes. So, so families are very complex intersectional entities. And, <laughs> and the intersectionality of our histories, how our parents did things, how mm -hmm. we relate on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and I often, I often, I'm in conversations with people about relationships because we talk about uh, a lot about the idea of being uh, of relational practices, that is centering relationships over roles and tasks and agendas mm -hmm. and all that. Do we talk to each other about tasks and about our roles or do we talk to each other in ways that first and foremost acknowledge our relationship and care for that and then we bring those other things in to figure out how to how we can negotiate them and do them. And for right. me, the, the problem uh, that a lot of people have is, is they have other issues which are causing extreme anxiety or agitation, and it comes out sideways in housework arguments, or it comes out Absolutely. sideways in parenting arguments. And, and for, uh, for all of us, the challenge is to figure out where that joy and affection and, and collaboration and cooperation gets lost, right? Where did that go? And now instead we're all, and, and the other thing that's really important to understand here is that men have been trained to view women's activities, women's expression, 
things that are falsely gendered as feminine, they've been trained mm-hmm. to believe that that's less. Because in, in yeah. man box culture, when we talk about all these rules for being a man, these things can start getting enforced in infancy for boys. You know, be tough, stand up, don't cry, you know, shake it off, all that stuff. But ultimately, any boy who expresses too much need for connection or too much emotion or whatever, what do we say to them? We say, what are you, a girl? What are you, a sissy? Right. And we don't, we don't say that once a month or once a week. Boys are saying that stuff to each other hourly, right? The back and mm-hmm. forth microaggressions to bully boys back into the box. So by the time boys are old enough to, to date girls, you know, the girl thinks, oh, here comes Prince Charming. Well, Prince Charming likely has contempt for the feminine. He has contempt for your gender. And so men may, may enter the housework conversation saying, no, you're less than I am. Do the work. So there's something much bigger than a conversation that doesn't happen. We have to understand that, that men have to step out of a lifetime of conditioning which reduces women to something less, which in fact reduces all the things they need to be a good caregiver. If, you know, you want to find a man who's, who's had to face his own terrible, negative cultural conditioning, find a man who's been a single parent. Because mm-hmm. he's, had, he's, right, he's either he burns that relationship with that child to the ground or he comes to terms with what it means to be, to, to be in service to someone else which is what women have been forced to do and what men have avoided. And, and well, both groups need to have the freedom to engage that experience without it being mandatory, but with all, also without being able to just say, nope, your gender means you got to do it. So that being in well, service is powerful. And that's such an interesting thing because um, one of my colleagues, and his name's Terry Real, and I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he, he's very much about dismantling the patriarchal culture and bringing men into relationship. And this is really, you know, it's kind of the second half of the feminist movement, of the women's movement, that, that, you know, that women have rejected some of this stuff. Not all, not all women and not all stuff. But there's been this rejection, but there hasn't been the invitation to men. Now, now some men have. I mean, my, you know, my husband is definitely, he participates in the running of the household. And hopefully I've trained my son to do the same thing. But part of this is how to have this conversation in an inviting way to understand just what you're saying that men have been trained this way since they've been small children. And, you know, and I don't blame or judge them for that. That's like blaming or judging somebody for some, something else they've been trained in. It's how do we, like I said, invite them. And it's really interesting because, and I don't know if people know this, but women are actually the ones who initiate about two-thirds of the divorces. And if you're a college-educated woman, that goes up to 90%. So, you know, so this idea that you know, we, we don't know how to be relational, and I would argue that while women may have be a little bit further ahead, I think that we are still somewhat stuck because it's very hard to step out of these, things that we've learned and have been carried on through the generations. So what would, what would make it easier for people? What would make it easier for men? What would make it easier for women? Well, 
you know, there's a, there's, there are, there's a price men pay for mm-hmm. being in, in man box culture. Uh, the, the thing when we, when, what we do is we take basic human capacities, which you see evident in young boys, young boys have mm-hmm. these joyful, affectionate, open, uh, loving friendships with each other. Then yeah. dial forward to, to men in their early 20s, and they may get drunk together, and they may watch sports together, they may whatever, but that joyful, playful, intimate, loving friendship stuff fades out. It goes away. And that's because our culture, our dominant culture of masculinity, our idea of what it means to be an adult actually runs counter to all of the relational capacities that young children have. We train them out of it, and especially boys. Yep. Mm-hmm. So when we, take, when we take a bunch of human capacities, joyful connection, emotional expression, gender them as feminine, and shame them out of boys by denigrating the feminine over and over again, what uh-huh. we're shaming out of them, among other things, is empathy and the ability to, um, to see themselves in in joyful connection with other people. And once you break that empathy connection and break some of those other uh, ways of being, of, of relating and connecting, the joy of doing things together, the joy of connection, the joy of, of understanding how other people feel, uh, it's very easy to, to just shut down and go all the way into role-based ideas of who we are and, and forget about centering relationships anymore. And right. then when they're trained into that coupled with this domination hierarchy that men subject each other to. I mean, Niobe Way wrote a book called Deep Secrets about, the, about how we train boys out of connection. And yep. what she says is she says, when you tell a boy don't show your emotions, beginning at a very early age, which basically for her means pretend you're invulnerable, yep. it's traumatizing. And every other act, so if we look at men as having been traumatized being bullied and policed and harassed and messed with in man box culture until they hide most authentic aspects of themselves and instead do this narrow performance of being a real man, quote unquote. We're talking about being traumatized out of connection and into this hierarchical idea, which is, well, I may be laying in a gutter somewhere drunk, but I'm better than anybody who's a woman, right? I'm just better, but I don't yeah. know why I'm better. It's just a hierarchy, right. and that's the hierarchy, and that's the way it works. So, so we have to undo that for men. Men have to move. And men are terribly lonely and terribly disconnected and terribly anxious. Am I making oh, enough money? Am I, am I sleeping? I mean, am I, yeah. It, I mean, it, it is literally killing them. Social literally killing them. Yeah. Yeah. At the level that men face is equal to smoking. So it increases dramatically the, the levels of heart disease, diabetes, neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Obesity, suicide, all that stuff is linked to that we train boys out of connection. And it is a man who is firmly trained out of connection who can watch his wife struggle away with the worst aspects of housework over and over again while he sits on the couch and watches the game. That's disconnection. That's the disconnection that we're facing in, in marital relationships that's bred into boys and men. And it can be, it can be, but, but men who move into connection, who, who do men's work, do whatever they have to do to bring themselves back into relationship with the world and get this rich human connection, it stops feeling like everything's a heavy, laborious effort, going to the office, 
taking the kids yep. to school, helping with the housework. Because these <laughs> men are depressed. They're literally, yeah. they've literally been ground down to this automaton of role-based activities, and they follow the, the script that the culture gives them. So it's a difficult, and, and, it, it's a, yeah, it's a tangle. It's a and I do tangle. think that, and I do think that in this switching where there, where in some cases men are actually losing their role as the primary breadwinner, it's making it worse. And here's the deal. It doesn't have to, but again, a lot of what keeps men caught in the, in, in this trap is that one, I think many of them don't know that there is a different way to be. And two, that's also part of the shaming of, of actually reaching out and finding how to be healthier and how to be better and doing the work. And it's not because you are bad or crazy or whatever, but I do love your description of they have been traumatized. And again, that's not, I mean, you know, all of this work, this new work around trauma to me is so fascinating because of what trauma is and what it isn't. And most of us have had some form of trauma in our life. Um, and, and it's impacting us. And then learning how to deal with that is incredible. But, but yes, what happened to, you know, what happens to little boys is so harsh. Um, you know, I just, it's just, and the more I learn about it, the sadder I get. So, Mark, unfortunately, we got to wrap up because my, you know, my editor is going to get really mad at me. But sure. <laughs> uh, can you share with people where they can learn more about this and the work that you do and the writing that you do um, to help men out of this, out of the man box? Sure. Well, I have a, I have a little 75-page book called The Little Me Too Book for Men. Uh, and it's available on Amazon and other places. You can find out about my work by just going to remakingmanhood.com. My books are there. We have a parenting book, the relational book for parenting. I also have a collection of a long-standing collection of articles and a book called Remaking Manhood. But the 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 work that we do uh, and all uh, you know links to all of the, the the ways that we can begin this conversation as men who are tired of being alone and tired of being disconnected, the, the good starting point is, is at remakingmanhood.com, and I'd be happy to hear from anybody who has questions. Well, terrific, because in reality, there isn't men's work and women's work when it comes to running a household. Each person has both capabilities and responsibilities, and figuring out who's going to do what really isn't rocket science, but it's necessary for a happy home. So the question is, how quickly you get a handle on this truly is up to you. And so, and again, as we've been talking about, it's much deeper than who mops the floor. And so hopefully you have found this show helpful and you will continue to listen. And until next week, stay loving.